0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi, your host, live from the Trade King podcasting stage here at FinCon 2015 in Charlotte, North Carolina. So great to be here, to see so many familiar faces. A lot of people I only have the privilege of speaking to or emailing throughout the year. Now I get to give them a hug, a high five, have lunch, coffee. And one of my um, one of one of the people here who is a keynote actually, someone I've been following for years as a journalist someone I highly admire and respect, Tess Viglin, is here, CEO of Tess Viglin Productions. But many of you probably know her as the radio host extraordinaire. For 11 years, she was the anchor for Public Radio's Marketplace Money. She also has written the newly published book entitled Leap, Leave a job with no plan B. Yeah, been there to find the career and life you really want, and I suspect you talk about this from first person. I
1: do. Yes. indeed
0: And the book was based. Uh, yeah, as, as I, I should read my own introductions. I should. I, they would answer my questions. The book was. I'm based, still stuck on the
1: radio extraordinaire part. Oh I no, like that. that was an Let's understatement. Have more of that.
0: The book was based off of Tessa's personal experience after she felt that marketplace's Tess Viglin mm-hmm. was no longer. Fulfilling and left her dream job to find her next calling. And in her book, which we'll talk about more in the uh, in the interview, she talks about leaping without a net with humor and honesty, and shares the possibilities that are on the other side for those willing to leap with her. And I know many of you are in that situation you know you're 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 happy at work you enjoy work but you know there's something else out there for you this isn't the job forever right and uh, you don't want it to necessarily define you now Tess still keeps her radio voice warmed up serving as a backup anchor for NPR's all things considered wow that's great as well as shows on two local LA stations and in her spare time <laughs> I wrote a book. She, yeah, she wrote a book, <laughs> writes for the New York Times, The Guardian, among many other amazing places. And she's also a professional MC, speaker, panel moderator, interviewer, and I'm proud to say now, honorary guest at So Money. Welcome, Tess.
1: It is entirely my pleasure to be here. It's
0: nice to finally meet finally. you. Finally. have been like social media buddies for yep. a while. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I have been on uh, Marketplace, but be after you left. And, oh, okay. um, And uh, so it's not the same. I will just say that. And uh, you, you know it's a it's very hard shoes to fill. I for for well, thank you. Uh, I, w-
1: I was there for a long time. Yeah. So
0: I want to go right to it. You okay. you left Marketplace Money. Uh, that was two thousand Was it planned? Did you have a lot? That you, like, what was on the other side? Well, okay, the first week after you left Marketplace Money, what were you doing? Because when I got laid off, and you weren't laid off, but when I got laid off from the street.com, I, I think I slept in my bed for about a week. I watched a lot of real housewives. I ate
1: pizza and just did not take care of myself. <laughs> you know, I left in November of 2012, and um, for the first few days, there was a, just a euphoria absolute euphoria. I felt free. I was so excited that for the first time in my life, I didn't have a job to go to on Monday. I could kind of do with my day whatever I wanted to do. And I spent the weekend partying with friends and just really reveling for in you. this freedom. Yeah, it was fantastic. And um, you know, went outside a lot. I live in LA, so I went outside and walked my dog several times a day, which I was. Wow, never your dog was like, to, yeah, I like, my dog I like, like fun yeah, you need to quit your job tests. all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that lasted for about five days, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, after all these days of saying, "Yay, I don't have a job," I said, "Oh my God, I don't have a job," and I suddenly felt like. I also didn't have an identity anymore. You know, I'd spent 20 plus years in public radio and that brought with it, you know, a certain element of recognition, a certain element of, you know, people recognize my elevate, my, my voice in elevators. Um, Wow. And, you know, I had a national show and I had an audience, uh, most of whom I think liked me. And so I really, for most of my career, identified myself with my job. Right. So you kind of touched on this earlier. I was Marketplace's Tess Vigland. And all of a sudden, I was just Tess (laughs) Vigland. And I didn't know what made her valuable. I didn't know what made her special. I didn't know what made her worth listening to. Really? Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't have the name behind me. It's just a title, though. Think about the body of work that you still you. So no one can take that away from you. No, absolutely not. But but I do think that particularly in this country, we so identify ourselves with what we do for a living, Mm -hmm. and with who we work for. Uh, Especially if you have a cool job, right? You know that that's your thing. That's your jam. And I didn't have that anymore, and so all of a sudden I didn't know who I was. So let's talk
0: solutions. You're solutions driven. You've done a lot since then. Yep. So what was your first idea? Okay, here I don't I don't feel as though I have an identity, but I wanna I wanna bring back my identity. What was the first step, the first two
1: steps that you took from there? Well, it took a long time for me to even get to the point where I realized what the problem was, where I realized that I was kind of floundering around for who I was. Um, and those first few months were a real roller coaster of emotion. It was a psychological roller coaster, a financial roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And once I started to think, well, okay, so what makes me valuable outside of what I did for 20 years? Um, And how can I take those skills and translate them in a way that's maybe new and different or maybe kind of the same within the same wheelhouse? Uh, But, I mean, honestly, I spent months... Where I was, I was depressed for a lot of the time, and I had super high highs for a lot of the time. What would get you high? Um, an article in the New York <laughs> Times, ah, you know, or like new, about you, or no, 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 oh, like just, writing for them. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So the the thing is when you when you leave a job that has been nine to five your whole life, you've never really done project work. You know, whether you call it a freelancer or a solopreneur, whatever word you want to use, right? Um, all of a sudden, when you don't have that stability and that kind of regularity, um, it's really hard to manage the idea that you know you can have a contract, you can have a contract project, or maybe a freelance project for a week, two weeks, maybe even a month, two months, and you're working really hard and you're making the money. But then all of a sudden when that's done and maybe you don't have the next thing lined up yet, you feel lazy. You feel like you don't have value. You, you don't feel like you have worth. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that you have to get used to when you're working for yourself. Um, it's not it instant just, gratification. No, it's no. not instant gratification at all. And you have to figure out how to, how to manage your emotions and your money over that long period of time. So what I ended up having to do was make a decision about whether I wanted to stay again in my wheelhouse in my career and maybe step down a couple of rungs on the ladder because I was I was pretty close to the top of my career of course, ladder yeah and I got there when I was 32 years old Wow and so I had to just kind of look around and see well there aren't a lot of other opportunities out there that are equal to what I had to what I walked away from. So I had to decide, okay, am I willing to step down on the career ladder, which we're not we'll make supposed a to do, move, right? Right. Or do I find another ladder entirely? You know, some new career ladder out there that is something where I'll probably have to start at the bottom and gain expertise as I as I go up.
0: And in your book is there a
1: particular ladder that's better? No, it's just find the ladder. You have to figure it out. You have to figure out that ladder. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I have to say, this book. I think a lot of people look at it and say, "Oh, this is going to be the ten steps to quitting your job and having a better life." (laughs) It's not. This is not a how-to book in by any stretch of the imagination. This is stories. This is a story of my transition, of this eighty other people who I interviewed who had quit their jobs without knowing what they wanted to do next, and taking you through that process. And it is a process, and that's. That's kind of what I'm getting at here is that you have to do the hard work yourself to start asking those questions. Who are you outside of what you do for a living? Would you be willing to step down a few rungs on your career ladder to have the life that you would rather have? Are you willing to completely start over with something entirely new where maybe you'll have to go back to school? Maybe you'll have to start with a much lower salary than you ever had? There are all kinds of trade-offs to doing this, but if you are in a job that is not doing it for you, it's not worth staying. You know, it's so cliche, but we have one life. We have, you know, X many years on this planet, and you don't get a do-over. So the idea of staying in a job where you don't have some element of joy every day, it's just something that is going to make you look forward to going there, um, and, and where you... Where you are respected, where you feel valued, if you don't have those things, you shouldn't be there. Right. Life is too short for that. And if I can add to that,
0: I was just watching a TED Talk with um, Terry Trespicio. She's a leading expert in career and she's a career coach. And she was like, if you're waiting for your passion to arrive and just do the passion job, you might not be working for a long time.
1: Exactly. Uh, Oh, I'm going to have to go watch that. I'll send that to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really the same message. And, you know, that's basically what I did. I didn't have that next passion that I wanted to do because I spent 20 years in my dream job. And when you're in your dream job, you don't spend a lot of time figuring out what the next dream is going to (laughs) be. Why why would you? Stop dreaming. Right. And living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I didn't have that. You know, I'm not an entrepreneur, so I didn't have that kind of, I didn't have a business that I wanted to start. I didn't have another. Tess, you're entering,
0: you're transitioning now at a time where there's podcasting. Have you thought about. Yeah.
1: Just going, you know what? Going rogue and going. I'm going to do my own <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I've actually had a lot of people talk to me about doing a podcast, and uh, and I actually I actually talk about this in the book, and it's not, it's not a pretty thing about my personality, but I kind of realized a few months into the leap that I was used to a certain amount of having people around me. Uh, as producers, <laughs> as editors, as writers, as people who booked guests. And I just knew that, at least for the time being, I'm not willing to go it alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, when you spend a lot of your career with people who work for you and who do um, a lot of the background work for you, then the idea of doing that, that all by yourself... Sometimes is not appealing. Hmm. And it wasn't for me. You know, I didn't want to go back to booking guests. Makes sense. Yeah. Editing my own. A one my own woman audio. band. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. It's definitely I mean, I, hard. I did that when I was twenty. Yeah. I'm doing it now. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and you're really good at it. And you know, I don't know what kind of adjustment I mean, I have that Sophia. was. Yeah, she helps you. me out and well, there I, have, you go. I
0: outsource the editing.
1: But yeah. <clears throat> But you know, so so I have been talking to people yeah. about you know, and I have a producer now who's working with me on the possibility of a podcast um, because I do. I miss the microphone. Yeah, clearly, as you can tell, I like. Yeah, it. you're totally into the microphone.
0: <laughs> um, let's transition to my so many questions. I would love to get your perspective now. So many years you've been on the other side of the mic, interviewing people about money. Right. So now I want to. I want to change that and ask you, and to flip it and say. Tess, what's your number one financial philosophy? And I'm sure you have some great ideas around this because you interview so many people, you've heard so much, you've experienced so much. If you had an overarching money mantra, what would it
1: be? You know, you know you- it's, it's a really good question and one that I probably should have. <laughs> um, I have, I don't really have one that's developed, but I guess I would say that after six years of having guests on my show who knew a a lot more than I did. Um, And also we took calls uh, on the show. So every week I took calls from people around the country who had all kinds of money issues. And, you know, our job was to help, help them with those. I would say that what I took away from those six years is that people need to take responsibility for their own actions with money. I think that there, it's, it's very tempting and it's very easy to say, you know, I'm here because of a circumstance, I'm here because of the economy, I'm in this situation because of income inequality. And yes, there is a lot to those and there are a lot of societal ills out there that make it very hard for people to make a living, that make it very hard for people to manage their money. That said, no one is going to do it for you. Right. And that was something that I, that, you know, we tried to say week in and week out on the program is that, you know, yes, we can give you some advice. We can give you a little bit of direction, but you have to do the hard work. And, you know, if. If a budget is what works for you, then go sit down and do one. If that doesn't work for you, then figure out some other way that allows you to manage your money in a way that works for you. But it's up to you, right? You know, you can't oh, count on say it, sister. Yeah, you can't count on Farnoosh. You can't count yeah. on marketplace money. You Although I'm happy count- to have
0: you on the show, right. I'm happy to I'm happy to connect with you. I'm happy to disperse advice. But you're absolutely right, Tess. You cannot help anyone who can't help themselves. Exactly, and, and is driven to get the help they need, Right, right. Um, you can't do it all alone. And so we're not saying, I don't think you're saying that it's all on you, No, but you can get the help, you can get a team, you can get resources, you can get um, the knowledge to yeah. get from good to great or you, from you horrible have, to better. You
1: have to do the homework, yeah. you know? And I think the housing crisis was actually a really good example of this, that, you know, people, including me, I got one of those exploding mortgages back in 2004 before I knew better. Yeah. Um, but people would come on our show in 2008, 2009 and say, well, I didn't know what was in my mortgage. That's nobody's fault, but yours. Yeah. And if you don't understand what's in the contract, if you can't look at it and at least have the barest knowledge of when your interest rate is going to change of, you know, what that contract looks like and at its most basic element, then you shouldn't be buying a house, you know? And yes, there were a lot of financial shenanigans that were going on with the banks and there was stuff that was slipped in, but some of this stuff was very basic and people weren't doing the really basic homework. That they needed to do before laying out that kind of cash.
0: It's frustrating, though, as a consumer, as a homeowner, though. During that era, that time, you're seeing the big or institutions get bailouts. Oh yeah. And people were like, "Okay, they effed up. Right. They're getting rescued." Yes. I okay, I screwed up
1: too, but where's my um, cash windfall? <laughs> no, absolutely. And and I'm not saying that uh, that people shouldn't have gotten some sort of help out of all that what i'm what i'm saying is we, sh- we need to learn from that, yeah. that it is our responsibility yes. to be educated about these kinds of purchases. But you know, I am certainly among those who believes that A, the banks should not have gotten away with what they got away with. I, mean, I, I covered the corporate scandals back in the early 2000s with Enron and WorldCom oh, and Martha yeah. Stewart and all those. Those were nothing no. compared to what the banks did to get us into what happened in 2008. And the fact that there were no perp walks out of the financial, the global financial crisis is one of the great scandals of our time. Um, And the other great scandal out of that is that the banks didn't get hit and consumers did. Um, I think that it's great to see now that there are some judges across the country that are taking a look at these foreclosure cases and saying, okay, uh, bank, do you have the paperwork on this? Can you prove that you hold the title to this house? And if you don't, they're going to get the house free and clear. Wow. That should have been happening all the way along. Yeah, I'm saying it's 2015. It is 2015. Well, and these cases are still making their way through the courts. But, you know, the fact is that Congress the white house absolutely should have provided a lot more help to homeowners um, you know the the whole notion of since it was their idea also in the first place absolutely I mean, the movement to buy a home
0: it was an, it was it, it's like with urgency you know like there was everybody was like you got to buy a home you got oh, yeah. from from the administration down yes. you know this was a a calling from above yes
1: well and you had people even like me who when i when we bought our house in los angeles of all places You know, we got a 100% loan. What? Yeah. I mean, there's no way to get 20% down on a house in Los Angeles. So we got one of those piggyback loans that everybody was getting where it was called an 8020 and you'd get, you know, an 80% regular mortgage and then you'd get a HELOC on top of that, a home equity loan. And then you pay it down. And, and then you pay it down, but you basically bought a house with no equity. So you would move into the house with zero that's equity. Scary place. To yeah, be and in. Yeah. that's why when the housing prices dropped, that's why everybody was underwater. Right. So, you know, we were sold a bill of goods certainly by the banks and uh, I'm not saying that it's all up to individuals to, you know, everybody be attorneys it's and the accountants mess. and be able to read some of this stuff. But I do, I do think that there is individual responsibility. I take full responsibility for the fact that I got an exploding mortgage. You know, that, that's on me. Yeah.
0: So um, we'll call that your biggest money mistake, unless there was a, another one. Oh no, there, there are others? lots of other ones. Yeah.
1: I got in major credit card trouble when I was in my twenties. We all did though, right?
0: Well, your, really you look like I was in <laughs>
1: Do tell. <laughs> no, I, um, in fact, I was telling this story earlier to, you know, J.D., right? Of course, J.D. JD Roth, Roth yep. Slowly. Good buddy of mine. I was telling him earlier that, uh, you know, I grew up uh, the the daughter of a doctor, so I had a very nice life growing up. And w- in my 20s, uh, when I got a job for $17,000 a year in 1990, I just kept living the life that I had the, under my parents. And I kept thinking that I could live the life that I had growing up. And I spent that way. And I got myself in really, really deep trouble. And I finally had to learn that, no, I'm not going to have the life that my parents had, despite the fact that that's supposed to be the American dream, right? right? Um, Equal or better. Right, right. But then again, that it's... It's all about responsibility, and, um, and so can you share how deep into
0: debt you got, and how you what like how long did it take you to get out of that?
1: Uh, I got thirty five thousand dollars in credit card debt. Whoa! Okay, yep. yeah, I went to credit counseling. Okay, and um, but you know, back in the mid nineties, credit when you'd say credit counseling, there wasn't really any counseling. <laughs> they basically worked with the banks to put you on a payment plan. And make it possible so that so you could get out of it. Program. It was a debt management yeah. program. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So growing up. Uh,
0: with in a, in a sort of privileged childhood, Not sort of, very, very. Yeah. What was your greatest financial experience as a kid? Whether it was the allowance that you got,
1: or the, or anything, any lessons learned? Nothing. You're shaking nothing. your head. <laughs> no, no. And this I mean, I've talked to my parents about this. That I think that was part of the problem. You know, they, I wasn't spoiled. You know, so it wasn't like I got anything that I asked for. But I had a very, I had a very nice upbringing, and I had nice things. And and my parents never kind of showed me where that came from. They never showed me that money no didn't take grow your on trees. To work day or no, anything. there was no. Well, I wouldn't have gone into the hospital anyway because I would have just passed out. <laughs> You're like me, <laughs> right. yeah. But um, you know, I, I never got any sense of what the income was, what the outgo was uh, in our household. My parents never talked about money ever. And you know, again, I don't blame them. It, I'm a person and I was an adult when we I got myself We can them in, a little bit. I mean, you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. What are you
0: supposed to say or do? Hey, mom and dad, can we talk about budgeting? Right, yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about
1: compound interest? Uh, I know I'm only seven, That's but, totally what I should have done. Yeah. I was I was just a terrible child. No, but, you know, I, I do now advocate for whatever income level you're at, you've got to talk to your kids yeah. about what money means. Yeah. Because if you don't, then they're going to get to the point where they're adults. They're going to make their own minds And up. they're going to make yeah. their own minds up. And they're not going to have any concept yeah. of what it means to save, of what it means to actually put down money for a bottle of water or a bottle of soda. Or how about just what, what cash looks like? We swipe so often now. I have a young
0: son; he's only 15 months, but um, you know he's starting to be more observant. He's aware of his environment, and when he's older, I want to make sure that he sees cash leaving my wallet to pay for things, so he knows that it's a limited yeah. resource. He's not going to see it. But well, I'm gonna. Are you telling me we're not even we're going to go cashless entirely?
1: I think we will eventually. Really? Yeah, I do believe oh. that that's coming. I don't know when, but you know, you know the studies as well as I do about how. When, when you are not paying with cash, it's so frictionless that you end up spending more because there's no pain there's involved. There's no pain, right. There's all kinds of behavioral finance around this. That when you have to actually hand over cash, even if it's the quarter, yeah. there is a little bit of pain involved because you know exactly what that's worth. So when you hand yeah. over a credit card or when you use a square to swipe or, you know, whatever it is, or even like, you don't even have to swipe anymore. You have the chip in your credit card yeah. you just like the EMV hold it chip. up there yep. <laughs> yeah. or Apple Pay that all makes it so much oh, easier man. to buy things without knowing what you're doing so the kids today are going to grow into a world they're where screwed. they have no pain yeah they're totally screwed on. never mind they're all screwed okay um, <laughs> let's talk about habits
0: Uh, One of the, I just talked about a habit that I hope to implement is that when I, hopefully there will be still cash around, I'll be able to introduce cash to my son and let him see that money is a limited resource. But what about your personal financial habits test? Something that you do on a a consciously on a regular basis that helps with your ability to save well and live a, a healthy financial life. What is that?
1: Well, I actually wouldn't say that I have a healthy financial life. I, make, I still make all kinds of mistakes. I make really, really bad decisions. I spend more than I should. So, don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> yeah, we won't tell anyone. Especially Only a million not, people who've downloaded the podcast so far. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Only everybody here Nobody at tweet Con. that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, everyone's I, tapping on Twitter right now. <laughs>
1: uh oh. I mean, I'm, I'm as flawed <laughs> as anybody else. Tess vigilant, financial wreck. Right. Yeah, okay. Vigilin, sorry. Vigilin. That, that, no, that's okay. That's my next book. Tess Vigilin, financial, financial
0: train wreck. <laughs> I see that it's a a franchise movie t-shirts
1: everything awesome okay well then I won't have any money trouble so but really you know but you have any habit like anything you do that you know I guess I guess the only real habit that I have I mean I you know I do automated retirement planning okay Um, I'll take that yeah uh which is actually through not as easy when you're working for yourself do you use a particular
0: resource platform for that do you have an advisor no I do not have an advisor
1: um I I've thought about getting one, but I've but I've never gotten one. But I'm one of those people who <laughs> I check my bank account every day. Good. I check I mean I basically run a quicken account update every morning. And part of that is because I've been a victim of identity fraud three times. Oh my, in uh, like a short period of time? Uh, No, it was over a span of about two years back in 2007, 2008. And so now I am religious about checking credit card transactions. Uh, I'm religious about checking my um, credit report all the time. Um, So I guess, I guess those are things that I do on a regular basis, but Beyond that, you know, the irony is that I hosted a personal finance show for 6 years and I learned a lot, but that didn't mean that I'm great with money. You know, I I, I wish I had some brilliant notion of how people can better save and be ready for retirement and pay off their homes, but it you know, honestly, it's it's also basic. And you, you know, if you spend less than you earn, and if you set aside, you know, up to the match with your four hundred and one k, and if you pay off your credit card balances, you know, it's all the stuff that everybody here it's not rocket science preaches. It's a it behavior, is, though, behind yes, it that gets us. Yes, stuck, and right? that, I'm no better at that than anybody else because I'm human. I don't, I don't particularly like talking about money, even though I did for six years. You like Um, listening to people talk about money. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it makes me feel better (laughs) because I'm not alone. Um, But, you know, I think that that actually is something that that's what draws people to you, to me on my old show, to the people here at FinCon. That they're talking about their own stories and making sure that everybody understands that this is the concepts are very easy. They're very basic. They're very simple. But implementing them is so hard, and it's because you're human, and it's because you're hardwired in certain ways to want certain things and to uh, behave certain ways. Um, you know, delayed gratification is really hard. And thinking, thinking 40, 50 years out for retirement is really, really hard, and it is for all of us. And so, I, you know, I think just knowing that you're not alone That there are other people who are just like you, and even the experts have trouble with it. Absolutely. You know, that's. I think that's really helpful for everybody. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Tess. I'd
0: love to transition now to some So Money fill in the blanks. Uh Uh-oh. Everyone gets scared when I bring that up. <laughs> it's really not meant to is be Is this a,
1: the 60-minute Yes. Gotcha question? Uh,
0: my documentarian's camera man <laughs> is going to come right now and, and... Well, I already said things that I probably shouldn't have, so <laughs> fire away. Um, so here we go. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... Travel the world. Go around the world. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is... Housekeeping. Yes. Did you feel like you're on Family Feud or something at the at the last re- recession? It's yes, like, yes. And we, we uh, surveyed 100 Americans. Yeah, I'm like rolling through my head. Yeah. Should I say this publicly um, or not? When I splurge
1: my money, I like to spend on. Uh, photography equipment. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I've been teaching myself photography over the last two years. Awesome. Good yeah. for you. Of course, I should learn the lesson that it has nothing to do with your equipment. It has to do with your creativity and, and your eye for seeing and things. And also but your Instagram filter. That's what makes it. And good. your Instagram filter, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, that's how I become a <laughs> But I love the ultra-wide-angle lens, and I just want Wow. One. All right. Um, All right. <laughs> Well, what else is on the list? I'm doing this for, uh, off the top of my head. I don't have my piece of paper in front of me. It goes like, oh, yeah. The one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up
1: is? Well, we talked about it, that it doesn't grow that on trees.
0: That, that it exists. <laughs> yeah, that it exists. Yeah, that you actually
1: have to pay for something. That you have to be responsible one day. <laughs>
0: um, when I donate, I like to give to blank because? The Humane Society because I love animals. All right. And last but not least, I'm Tess Viglin, author... Of Leap. Leave a job with no plan B to find the career and life you really want. I'm so money because...
1: I am so money because I actually wrote a book. Yes. I can't believe I you wrote did. a book. I never thought I would write a book, and I wrote a freaking book. And I know it takes a lot of effort
0: and time
1: it was a lot solitude. harder than I ever thought it it's would be. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of
0: work, and I, I respect you for that. And I'm so happy to finally meet you in person. I know you do live from the uh, stage, the Trade King podcasting stage. I want to get that in at FinCon 15. Tess Viglin, thank you so much, and con- wishing you continued success.
1: Thank you so much for news. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great questions, and um, look forward to the next chat. I can't wait for your podcast. <laughs> Okay,
0: you throw down. It's on, it's on, baby. Okay. Thank you. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Tess Vigland, visit her website, com. She's on Twitter at the same name, Tess Vigeland. All of this information at somoneypodcast.com where you can also get the transcript and comments from this episode and all episodes. And as a reminder, we'd love to hear from you. So click on Ask Farnoosh while you're at somoneypodcast.com. Send me your question, your thoughts, your feedback every Friday. I dedicate the show to answering your questions. Thanks so much to my guest, Tess Vigland for joining us and to all of you for bearing through that interview. I know that was a different kind of interview. It was, you know, we were uh, in the middle of a conference. There was a lot of background noise, but I hope that it was still, uh, you know, a, a good experience for you. And I appreciate your listenership. Hope to see you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.